Hi there, everybody. Ed asked me to chime in and let you know about me. My name is Dan, and I am weird. But I don't see weird as a bad thing. Weirdish means people marching to the beat of a different drum, not fitting into that hole that society wants to shove you into. On my show, The Power of Weird, I'm talking to people like me. The weirder, the better. So when you're done listening to this great episode of the Dead America Podcast, come on over to thepowerofweird.com and start the descent into your weirdom. And remember, be the weird you want to see in the world. I'll see you next time on The Power of Weird. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. And today we are very excited and happy to have with us Andy Hoosier. I'm going to let Andy hop in and tell you who he is, what he does. Andy, go ahead, sir. Ed, it's great to be with you, my friend. Yeah, it's exciting. I I was recently introduced into the podcasting world just a few months ago as an operations manager for a cluster of radio stations based out of Wichita, Kansas. We have about seven radio stations all over the state of Kansas, Oklahoma, and uh, news talk, sports talk stations, a couple music stations as well. So I handle all the on-air programming for all of these stations, plus our Mid-America Ag Network, where we cover a lot of ag news and ag market reports throughout the day. But obviously, the the specialty is the news talk and the political talk stuff. I host a political talk show that is, and actually, you guys are going to be the first ones to really get the announcement of this. It's not public yet, but we will be announcing it within the next couple weeks. But we are taking the show national as seven radio stations are going to be picking up the show and kicking it off on a national front. So we're really excited about that. But Prior to that, dabbling into the uh, the podcasting world a little bit as well as as you've done. So it's a, I tell you what, radio and podcasting are are a totally different beast, and I'm starting to learn that. But it's a it's a really fascinating in- industry for sure. Yes, it it is. Podcasting is wonderful, and I'm excited that you're a part of it because the Hoosier Reasoning Network and your show is awesome, and I love to listen to it. I miss it kind of wondering what the heck are we losing Andy and I'm glad to hear that we're not losing Andy people awesome no no it's, <laughs> so, it's growing it's growing yeah we, we we stalled it temporarily I uh we had made a move so it's it's been kind of a fun story so back in uh, October of last year my my wife had some medical issues and we wanted to move closer to family so we ended up leaving the company that I'm at right now, uh, we left back in October. We moved to Ohio, where the majority of my family's at. And without a radio base, we tried to get into the podcasting. So I, I started doing that. We did a one-hour online show every day, live streaming it, and then podcasting it afterwards. And we were doing that for a couple of months. And then we got the call back, and they made a, a sweet offer for me to come back and do what I was doing prior. 
and I couldn't pass it up. So we've stalled the show for a while, and they had talked about bringing the show back just on the local station. But in that six months where we were podcasting, I had been working with some stations and talking to them about picking up the program. I fill in on occasion for a nationally syndicated program, Armed American Radio, talking about the Second Amendment and and that type of uh, discussions. And uh, there's a a cluster of stations up in the Washington and Oregon area who I've been talking to and that actually is owned by a Second Amendment organization. And uh, it's funny how it all worked out is the same time that I got the call to come back to Kansas and actually get back into radio officially is the exact same time that I got a call back from them saying that they want to pick up the hour show. So I talked to the current company that I work at, that's Techline Communications, and uh, they love the idea. And we're going to take the show with our four news talk stations that cover uh, the Panhandle of Oklahoma, uh, the great KGYN that covers Texas down to Amarillo, Texas, and the Panhandle of Oklahoma and parts of Colorado, New Mexico, and Kansas in that corner, plus our station here in Wichita and uh, a couple stations throughout the state and then the, the few stations up in Nebraska, or, uh, Oregon and Washington. And we're going to take the show with the flagship out of the great KQAM here in Wichita and go national with it. So it's been on hiatus for a while, but it's been in preparation. And we've been working behind the scenes really, really hard to make the show get ready and, and take it uh, back onto radio. It's still going to be podcast and live streamed and on TV. There's a TV network here in the state that uh, airs about five TV stations, about five different networks around the state of Kansas. It's going to pick up the video stream as well. And uh, we're going to blow the show up, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, you always blow it up, Andy. You bring good content. You have awesome guests all the time. And you've got the host voice. Kill the airwaves. And you always come loaded. You're prepared. And you're always on top of the current events, issues. And a lot of people slough. You know, I'm guilty of it myself. I like to do the easy thing once in a while, but we really have to dive in and understand, especially in today's world, what is going on. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's really hard. And I mean, the fluff thing is, is there and a lot of hosts and there's nothing wrong with fluff. I mean, there's a time and place for it. And it's not necessarily fluff, but it's the energy. It's the getting people riled up. I mean, if you've ever gone to something like the conservative political action conference, you know, there's not a whole lot of information but it's the feel good. It's the to refuel yourself, to refill that tank of energy for you to keep fighting the fight because that's how important it is. And it, you need to do that once in a while. But what we try to do with the show, as you mentioned, is yeah, I mean, we try to dive deep into an issue and we have the facts. And the show is called The Voice of Reason because we try and bring reason back into the political world. And being coming from a media background instead of an expertise, I mean, I'm not a a specialist with a with a doctorate degree. I'm not some type of scientist, I'm not a CIA operative or a former government employee that knows the insides and outs. I'm a radio host. But one thing that I've learned throughout my career in radio is the fact that you need to present evidence and you need to present the facts and you got to do it in an entertaining way. So that's why we come in guns blazing and it's try to be intense and high energy and we try and keep the attention of the listener. But at the same time, you want to bring in the facts. And I, one thing I love is I love debate. I love arguing. I love when someone calls up on the show and says, you are dead wrong. I hate what you're saying. I'm a, I'm a progressive socialist. I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter. I, I love that side. And I think what you're saying is complete malarkey. And we go round and round because I love getting, once you get past the bumper sticker arguments, the nice little one-line zingers, the little Twitter comments that people like to have, if you can get someone to get beyond that and, and unveil the layer of the onion just a little bit deeper, then you get a good conversation because then you start to realize sometimes you're working towards the same goal. We just do it a different way. You and I as conservatives, 
we believe that if I do something good and my neighbor does something well, then we're succeeding and they're succeeding. And therefore, everybody around us can succeed, and therefore, the community does well, and we grow as a community based on individuals flourishing and doing well in their individual rights. The progressives want the community to do well as, do well as well, but they want it based on, well, they're doing well and they're not, so let's take away from what they have and get to somebody else because that way everybody's on the equal playing field. And that just doesn't work. So once you get past those platitudes, then you actually – start to see the inner workings and some people have lost the complete ability to debate and argue and carry on past because once you get past that one line zinger or that twitter comment then you're just a racist or a nazi or a homophobe or whatever whatever else they want to call you but if you can get them past that the argument and the discussion is really fascinating and that's what i try to do on the show is to unveil those layers of the onion talk about it in a little bit deeper sense and then actually get to a point to where we can See, at least maybe not agree with it, but at least understand the direction someone's trying to go and how they're connecting dot A to dot B. Uh, and that's, that's the problem that I have with news is because news is just a headline. And then a lot of news reporters take the news headline and they twist it to make the news headline into a propaganda piece for you to get the information that you think you want or that you need just from the headline without reading any deeper. And then they, they're the ones that really create the, uh, the dialogue. And that's something we got to get away from and seeing it from inside the media industry with radio. It's very frustrating. So that's why talk radio and podcasting, especially, I mean, you get the benefit of podcasting because you get to do whatever you want to do and you get to talk about it in any way that you want to without someone saying, Hey, this isn't commercialized or, Hey, you can't say that, or, Hey, you can't go after that person. Uh, podcasting has that benefit radio it's a little bit trickier to get around those things so you have to do it in a sly way to where the listener understands what you're trying to get at but you don't blatantly come out and say it so it's tricky but at the same time it's really fascinating to me yes and that's very important that we understand that podcasting is definitely not radio and we get away with a lot these organized radio shows, syndicated shows, they cannot talk about. They cannot put certain subject matter out on the airwaves. And a lot of them get a bad rap because of that. And a lot of good reporters suffer because they cannot inject their own personal feelings. I, I remember a few years back, and I do not remember where I heard it, but there was this matter about the uh, government wanting to put a federal person inside each and every studio. I think I heard it on Glenn Beck. Is that a true statement? Is there somebody inside each and every federal recognized studio that broadcast out to the world from America, is there somebody that puts a thumb on top of certain things, and why is that? Well, yeah, the FCC has definitely worked really hard to try and centralize media, both radio and TV. Radio in particular, and actually you can get away with a lot more on TV. I don't know if you've noticed this on TV than you can on radio. You can say a lot of different words, a lot of swear words on TV that you wouldn't necessarily be able to say on radio so radio is a very very tricky one and there's not necessarily a a physical person from the federal government with the fcc in every studio however there are more strict guidelines and what they've tried to do is they've tried to really centralize it to the point to where 
uh, you're listening to the radio and there's bad weather and you hear the EIS system come on and you talk, they talk about the severe weather report that comes on, uh, those EIS systems are not just monitoring weather any longer, but they're tracking and, and constantly uh, going to the database of the FCC and constantly feeding information about the, the signal status and how things are and the connection between the station and there, uh, the address, the frequency, you know, the, the, the power and the wattage of the radio station. So that way you can only fit in if you have a license for 5,000 watts at a radio station. If you're going over that, you could potentially get in a lot of trouble and get fined for that because they're all about trying to, aha, got you. So that way the federal government can get more money. But what they've also done, and this was done during the Barack Obama times, was that the FCC really tried to put the centralized button to where the FCC could push one button in Washington, D.C. and cut off any local programming that's going on on every radio station across the nation and have a national report go on whenever they choose to push that button. It's not just a localized, we're going to cut in when there's a severe weather report, but we're going to cut in if there's a, they say it was for a national emergency, uh, any type of global event or whatever that the FCC could just push that button and then do the EIS system, take over the airwaves of every single radio station in the country. And they've worked at it. And the first one was a complete failure. I remember I was working, that was when I just got into radio a few years back and they tried it and our stations didn't get the, the signal and we ended up keep broadcasting, but they've gotten better. And it works now to, as far as I'm aware, for the most part, to where they can't push that. And it takes over for their national EIS tests or signals whenever they choose to do so, and they do weekly tests throughout. Uh, so they've done that for sure. They've, they've put a lot of regulation on us to where uh, we have to do filings quarterly when it comes to the different content that we put on the show, the different uh, uh, carriers of satellite shows, whether it's news or whether it's different talk shows or sporting events, we have to go in and we have to file these. And they say it's for our ratings, for like Nielsen ratings, but it gets stored in the FCC databases. So there's definitely uh, a big brother mentality in radio where they like to monitor us and watch us and keep a very close eye because they'll pick and choose any way they want to in order for them to come and find us if they feel like doing so. So there's not a physical person, but they've definitely put a lot of big regulation on radio and it's very difficult to water through that. And as operations manager for the company, I'm the one that gets to do all those filings for the government and try and make sure that we're staying in line with all of it so we don't get in trouble with the company. And that, that's a lot of gray area that a lot of people don't understand that regulation. We as normal citizens, we don't understand all of that complexity. It does limit people to what they can say. And I'm noticing you're getting a lot of these big media personalities branching out starting their own channels, their own, like the Blaze Media, per se, and Bill O'Reilly. People are really starting to hook into this media center here on the internet. Well, radio, uh, the internet right now is unregulated, so you can still say or do anything you want to on the internet and that's why radio is so fascinating to me and why i chose radio to kind of be a career is because i love radio but at the same time it's it's changing it's ever changing and if radio is going to survive which i believe radio will ever will always survive and i'm a big proponent and i will always advocate for radio because at the end of the day you know you can uh, get a message out free for individuals who are in a car just with a regular am or fm signal that can pick it up and it's very easy to get information out there as opposed to trying to be connected to the internet 
Uh, so it's easy, but if radio is going to survive, it's got to adapt and be part of that online world as well, which is why I think it was great to get that experience on the podcasting so you can do both of them. And you're right, there are a lot of networks that are going straight internet, like The Blaze, like uh, CRTV, uh, Conservative Review, that's run by Mark Levin, uh, even something yeah. like Joe Rogan, who's not necessarily a conservative, but he's one of the biggest podcasts in the country, and he's had a lot of conservatives on there, even though he doesn't consider himself a conservative necessarily himself. Uh, there's a lot of room there, and if we can find a way to think uh, – but even that's difficult. I mean, and Ed, you know this. I mean, you look at Google, you get YouTube, you look at a lot of these sources, Twitter – and they're the progressives that run these companies as well and are starting to restrict the freedom and the expression or at least the algorithms to where conservative messages actually have the exposure that they can – the possible exposure that someone else may have. I mean, Joe Pags is another great talk show host nationally. He's in the top 20 ratings-wise of one of the biggest national talk shows in the country, and he's got like 500,000 followers on Twitter. He does a live stream, and he gets like 30 people liking his post. I mean, how do you get 30 people to like it when you have 500,000 followers? To me, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, so they def yeah. yeah, so they definitely try to limit our exposure on there as well. So we have an uphill battle on both directions, both on the radio to get our message across and on the, uh, on the Internet. And if we can find a way to continue that fight on both fronts, then we can still get that message out that we need to. But it does. It gets more and more difficult every single day, and a lot of people are going with their own networks. Uh, like you mentioned, The Blaze, CRTV. I mean, we started our Hoosier Media Network, where we're going to have more shows coming on that one as well, and uh, eventually get you know live shows and, and, and shows going constantly on that too, which will be a lot of fun because it's another outlet for people to find the information and the resources that they don't necessarily get anywhere else and it's a big fight that we have to have but if we want to preserve freedom and preserve our freedom of expression to where people actually hear it that's something that we got to keep doing yeah i think it's big and i think it's the future the more of these talk show hosts news personalities that we can actually convince this is the wave of the future you're going to hit a lot more of the market I don't think radio is going anywhere. We all grew up on radio. It's been around since the Stone Age. But I think radio has to really start changing with the times, too. This is where we're at in between the podcasting world and the radio world. We're seeing these big names now really see the power of podcasting. And I think the growth that comes with that, it's going to be immense for both podcasting and radio when we can combine the two as the same form of media, just consumed in a different manner. We're going to see a big burst, not only in listenership, but the big important one for the big shots is that monetization. You're going to see people mm -hmm. want to buy into it more. And I think you're no, getting you're more absolutely freedom. Right. Yeah, you're getting more freedom from the podcasting world with these different media personalities. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of internal, especially on the sales side of radio, and I'm not in sales. I don't do a lot of sales. I have a hard time asking people for money. Uh, I can talk about the ideas, and I can talk about the quality of it as much as I can and want, and, and I know that very well, but to actually ask for the check, I'm bad at it. So I don't do the sales thing, but as the operations guy, I sit in the sales team a lot, and when podcasting first became a big thing a few years back, the radio industry panicked because they were afraid of, oh, my gosh, this is a new outlet for people to listen to content without commercials or listen online and listen when they want to at their convenience and download the shows on their smartphones, whatever. We're going to lose ratings and lose listenership because people are going towards the online podcasting and radio is going to go downhill. But the last study that I saw just less than a year ago, the last few months, actually is the other direction that it's not only helping radio, but podcasters who never listened to radio before who are maybe my generation, the millennials, the younger kids who are more online individuals and they love listening to a podcast on the WWE or any kind of sports or something like Joe Rogan or philosophical stuff or, or health and wellness, holistic stuff or politics, whatever it may be, that they're actually being turned to radio because now they've gotten to experience what listening to a talk show is like, listening to ideas, listening to news and information. It's starting to trigger some type of enthusiasm and excitement, and it's actually turning people to radio. So you're absolutely right. When it comes to radio and podcasting, there's a headway here, and they're doing both. That's why you're seeing uh, major shows simulcast on radio and on TV now that you cover both platforms. Then they record it and upload the podcast for people to listen to, and you have all three of them covered. Uh, I think – I don't know I don't know for sure, but, I mean, i got to imagine we were one of the first ones. Uh, before we left last year, last summer, I was simulcasting my local radio show, my morning local radio show on the local over-the-air TV station. And uh, we were one of the very few actual local markets to do that at a local level because – I mean, you look at like Fox Sports and Colin Cowherd, Fox Sports Radio. Uh, he simulcasts his show on FS1 uh, on TV every single day. Joe Pegg has his on Newsmax TV with his radio show, and they put the camera up in the studio. That's where we're going. The information is going on, out on every different media platform that you can possibly think of with live streaming, with TV, with radio, with podcasting. So that way, no matter what platform anybody may be into, it's so easy and convenient for the consumer that, hey, all you got to do is find the show and listen to it, and you're hooked, and no matter what you want to do with it, you can run with that information. And that's why I think as much as the large companies and the progressives are trying to shut down conservative messages, uh, conservatives are the only ones doing this. We're the only ones growing and saying, you know what, we're going to put the show on radio, on TV, on podcast, and we're going to live stream it on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, so that way anybody can watch it anytime they want to. And as long as people are somewhat paying attention, it's right there. So the only way that you can stay ignorant is to stay intentionally ignorant, which is what we're trying to avoid. That's a good point right there. You know, you have to educate. And to educate, people have to consume. The easier mm -hmm. it is to consume, the easier it is to educate. So the quicker we can get over that retaliation of the market shares and all of that and focus on bringing out that good informative educational content that's what we need to really start pushing for and the more i don't know have you looked into these podcasting conventions and how they are set up doing things and do you feel that the radio people are actually going to start going to them and participating in those events. 
I wasn't even aware of podcasting conventions, but I'm sure as they continue to grow that, yeah, absolutely, that radio guys are going to be starting getting involved with them because podcasting became such a huge industry. I mean, you're seeing millions of people download podcasts every single day uh, and tenfold. I mean, you can be subscribed to 20, 30 different podcasts, and you don't even have time to listen to all of them, but you find it interesting. So, yeah, with this podcasting continues to grow, then, I mean, yeah, the conventions are going to start coming out. People in radio are going to look and say, hey, this is an industry that we need to be in and we need to be involved in uh, because this is this is great stuff. And, I mean, when you can talk about literally anything, and here's the tricky part of this, and you know this as well, that when you can get on and you can have a podcast and you can say anything that you want to on it, as a consumer, we're being bombarded right now. This is the, this is the generation of information overload because everybody has a podcast yeah. or a lot of people have podcasts between radio shows, between TV shows, between uh, uh, written news as well with, with newspapers that are going digital and online stories that you find on social media. As a consumer, we have information overload. And it's very difficult for many individuals, many consumers who may not follow this deeply, may not understand what is fact, what is opinion, or what is completely fake because they don't have the time nor the interest sometimes nor the ability to research what they're hearing or what they're seeing to validate it and see whether it's true or not, which is why uh, I'm sure, I know you do this on your podcast. I do it on my show is that when I try and talk about an issue and I have, I say, here's my opinion. And this is why I think this is ridiculous or crazy. Here is why. And we present the facts that, you know, the percentages, the facts that this, the statistics, the actual quote, quote of someone saying what they said so that way it can't be taken out of context. Then people can base their opinion on that, as I have, and I try and base my argument on that. But there's a lot of people out there that can just go out and ramble and talk about whatever they want to and say how the Holocaust wasn't real or something, and they have no basis for it, but they make those arguments, and then people hear it, and they tend to believe it. That's how fake news gets out there, and that's why you see what's happening right now with like the coronavirus and the daily press briefings with Trump that the media is running and putting these crazy fear headlines out there for people. And they're thinking, gosh, Donald Trump has no idea what he's doing. When if you'd actually sit and watch it, he's doing almost two, two and a half hour press conferences, which I know because I'm staying late at the station every night as we broadcast them live and running the board for him and listening <laughs> to these things. And he's literally answering every question that they have. And not only he's answering it, but he's bringing these scientists and the experts up to talk about it. Uh, so, the media doesn't run that. The media doesn't report it. They just headline the fear is that Trump doesn't know what he's doing. Trump lied. Trump wants to inject you with disinfectant, and you should take Lysol and, and sniff Clorox or something. And they run with these headlines thinking that Trump doesn't know what he's doing. And the question is, do the consumers have enough information to make a sound judgment on what Trump's doing or the situation that's going on nationally? Or they, do they just hear this headline? And then they say, oh, my gosh, well, I guess that's what I have to do. I mean, you know it's crazy when Lysol comes out and actually makes a public statement saying, please don't sniff Lysol because that's not what the president said and that's not good for your health. I mean, at what level do we get to when people actually can't think for themselves because that's the headline they hear that Trump told them to do and they really seriously consider doing it? Yes, and, and you know, that's so important to understand. These people are just grabbing the headlines and I'm talking about the consumer, not the person putting those headlines out. They know that's what people grab after. So shame on them anyway. But us as the consumer of this media content, we really have to be able to slow down. 
And yes, we are in this world of information overload. Until we decipher the good media from the bad media, what's reality and what's not, we're going through this media war. You know, that's mm-hmm. uh, what's his Alex Jones type thing. There's been this media war and it's been touted by our fabulous Hillary Clinton. You know, we are in a media war. And when she said that, she said, we're losing. Very important. And you can go Google that. There's a lot of stuff going on with the media and has been for quite some time that we need to really get control of and Mm -hmm. deciphering who and who should not that really is not an issue. The First Amendment states an open and free press. It's up to the individual that's consuming that media to make sure he's consuming the proper media. And we're lacking exactly. that in America. Oh, we so, really are. Well, yeah. I mean, what it comes down to is that consumers need to remember, don't trust anything you hear. Like anything from CNN, from Fox News, from you, from me, from anybody, don't trust it and take it blindly. Take it with the grain of salt. Think about it and say, hmm, and then ponder it, see if it makes sense, and then do your own research. And I know that's difficult, but in the founding times, that's what the that was the purpose of the free press was to get information out there and for the consumer to be educated enough to make a sound, educated opinion based on the information that's out there. And that's what we're struggling with today. When people make a decision on a political campaign off a 15-second TV ad and don't do any additional research, that's why we're struggling and in the position that we are in today. Don't take anything for granted from what anybody says, from mainstream media to a podcaster to a talk radio host. Do your own research. Before, back in the day, I don't know what we do about the mainstream media just giving out straight factual information because everything that's said today has a spin one way or another on it, even if they're trying, intentionally trying to be uh, uh, bipartisan or trying to be objective and trying to just give the information. If you put a quote of Donald Trump out there, then you can either leave it as is, which would be the most raw, just here's what the president said today. Boom. Now, as soon as they have a counter of that on the media and they say, this is what the Democrat, this is what Nancy Pelosi said thereafter. Now you're either discrediting Trump by putting her voice out there and saying, well, he's wrong because she said this, or people are taking it as well. She's dumb because she just countered what the president said. And no, no matter what, we already have that partisan mentality in our heads, and we can't get away from that. That used to be called j- yellow journalism, if you remember that back in the early 1900s. Uh, yellow journalism, where they actually tried to play it off as news and as journalism, but it was opinion and it was garbage because people didn't want to hear their opinions. Nowadays, I want to hear from all sides. I want to hear from the Republican and the Democrat, the left and the right, the the conservative and the liberal progressive, because I want to hear all of the sides and then come up for a judgment for myself. Personally, it's very tough for me being in radio because I'm not a fan of news, the news, the top and bottom of the hour news reports that, that radio stations air for the latest news. I don't want to hear it because I already know it's biased and it's going to twist one way or another. So I don't want to listen to it. And if I want a news headline, I'll get the news headline on my smartphone because that's what technology has done today. I can wake up and I can have a news feed and a news thread of all the articles that came out and everything that happened overnight and what's going on right now. I want to hear the opinions of the talk show hosts, which is why I like to talk radio and podcasting, 
is because if I listen to a conservative and I listen to a progressive and I see the thread on social media of a debate and I listen to hosts and I get different takes and perspectives, I can pick and take a little bit from each one of them to gather my own collective thoughts, find my best opinion, and then back it up based on facts and and statistics that I've been able to research and come up with my own conclusive opinion so that way I can talk about it later on and say this is why I believe what I believe in. And then if someone has a, 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 a different idea or disagrees with me or has a different belief, then that's when they can say, hey, you know what, you're full of you know what, and this is why, and we can have a nice conversation about it. But again, a lot of people don't do that. I don't know how we save media or how we save news, because once we've gone to this point, I don't know how to go back from it, because now the trust for media is so low that can you ever really come back and say this is straight news and it's non-biased without people already having that mentality of, oh, it's biased, so I'm not going to trust it. I don't know how you come back from something like that. That's a good point, uh, that trust factor. A lot of our institutions in America have lost the trust factor. And I think with the onset of places like Facebook, let's be straight up front here. I remember I used to do this when I first got on Facebook. I would go to them games. I don't touch those anymore. I get on Facebook. I look for certain articles. I share the articles I want. I try to get off of Facebook. We have a whole generation stuck on this social media, and Mm -hmm. that is the soundbite capital of the world, is that Facebook and the memes and all of this fast-generated media that's very flamboyant and in-your-face. We have to get controls on our young hearts and minds and the media that they are actually consuming. I think this is really dangerous that every kid in America now has an iPhone. And I really wonder how many parents actually, you know, watch what their children are doing on these devices. There's a danger involved. And, and, if they're allowed to consume this trash without any parental guidance, that's a big danger right there. It is. Uh, It is very difficult. And you're right. Social media is very tough. I've tried to step away. It's hard to do with the show. And as you know, going on and and sharing stories or, or sharing articles or different things that's going on. Uh, I've realized, at least in my experience of social media, Facebook is kind of the meme central where you put all the fun memes, and Twitter is where you get the nice little one-shot zingers because you only have those certain amount of characters on there, and it's very difficult to have that discussion. That's why talk radio is where it's at in podcasting because you can go deeper and talk about it a little more in-depth and actually have those conversations because nowadays you have that young generation that sees a meme, a little catchy aha got you, or sees a little headline on Twitter, and all of a sudden they're now an expert and know everything about the topic. And when you try and pressure them on it to make sure they understand what they're really saying, then all of a sudden you're the racist, sexist, yada, 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 that can go on down the line, and they just shut down any type of the dialogue because they don't have any more depth to it. And as we see the information overload that we talked about, what we need now more than ever is the wisdom and the knowledge to weed through that information overload to 
to actually compile it and process it and understand it. Weed out what's fake, weed out what's bad, weed out what's garbage, and then take what's away, take away from the good stuff from it, process it, and be able to move forward to get rid of all the clutter. And I think talk radio does that. It's a longer format, which is very difficult because the young generation too has like an eight or ten second memory span before they have to before they lose attention. Yeah. So we have to, you know, keep it witty and and keep it going so that way they try and pay attention. But with that information overload, we got to bring the wisdom to it. And if you can bring wisdom to it to actually understand it, then it actually creates something that's a little bit deeper than just that information. Because information is great, but what do you do with it? You got to be able to process it and guide your children. And when it comes, you're right. When it comes to cell phones, if they're sitting there playing on their cell phone all the time and they're and they're looking through social media or they're chatting with their friends and they're talking about this, talking about that, you got to put it into context. Uh, I, I've seen this on social media, and I guess it's right, but I guess the one benefit of this whole virus thing and the stay-at-home mandates and, and the isolation is we get to have dinner at the dinner table again and talk with our children and utilize this time to teach them and educate them the best way that we know how to do at home and actually re-educate a little bit and put things into perspective and step away a little bit and actually be able to uh, give them that wisdom that sometimes we don't have time to do because we're running around doing three jobs and we're never home. Uh, I mean, my daughter's five years old right now, and she's not going to have a cell phone for a long time. I know I'm going to be one of the odd ones out there, and they're going to be in middle school telling her how to build an app, and I'm going to say you can't have a cell phone until you start driving in high school, but I'm going to stick to that, <laughs> and we're going to have those dinner table chats, and we're going to be re-educating. I mean, she's going to be sitting here listening to radio shows from home every single night to where when she hears something I say, she's going to, it's going to trigger and say, wait, that's not what I heard at school, or that's not the way the teacher said it, or that's not the way that I saw on social media. What do you mean, Dad? And it's going to cause that curiosity for her to want to look it up and figure it out herself to cause her uh, to create her own opinion rather than just regurgitate what the public edu uh, education system's telling us. I applaud you 150 percent, Andy. <laughs> that's what parents need to do folks did you hear that i hope everybody heard that if you did not push replay let's listen to it again because it's exactly what we need in america and around the world more mm -hmm. involvement from our parents and trigger that curiosity that's important the more yeah. we can trigger curiosity and give the best answer that you can if not look it up together you know be hungry together with your child and make them want to learn you know mm -hmm. that that was my problem i was not raised in a environment that really induced a good learning behavior so i had to do it when i got older out of the clutches of that family value stuff but sure once you understand that conservative mindset and the values we all should be placing in our children in the communities that we live in it's about all of us the unique thing about america is we protect the individual rights and we're lacking there we need to step up and really hold true to these values that we need so much in America. Yeah. 
let's talk about the public education uh, for just a second because you're absolutely right. That's uh, what it comes down to. And, I mean, see if you agree with me on this, that 90% of the issues we see in the country right now are because that we don't have parents that are engaged with their children to spark that curiosity. Right now we're relying on the public education system to do it. Oh, but you're learning math. All right, well, I don't necessarily want to sit down and do that. The school should be doing that because I'm paying them my property tax money in order to do that. So you know what? Now we're learning common core math problems that take them 20 minutes to solve a simple algebra problem. You know, sex education. That's why they're teaching it at younger and younger ages because they're curious and then the parents aren't stepping up and dealing with it. So they tell the school to deal with it. And then you see the issues that we're seeing. I mean, it all sparks with curiosity that we need to have. Bring back the shop class. Bring back the hands-on. I went to two years of college, and I realized that unless I wanted to become a teacher or a lawyer majoring in political science, it was a useless degree. And I was sitting there wasting a lot of money and drinking a lot of beer, and and uh, now I'm sitting on seventy thousand dollars of student loan debt, and and I didn't really get a whole lot out of it except for one thing that I found out. Uh, two things really. I found out what I wanted to do, which is radio, and I found out that the best experience and the best education you can have is to be the creative questioning, open-minded one that wants to get your hands dirty and get the hands-on experience, which is why I left two years of the university, and I went to a broadcasting school that was done in eight months, and you had the hands-on experience. You worked with radio people that were actually in the industry, radio and TV. You got to work with the equipment, and you got to go into the industry right after that. The trade schools, no matter what it may be, radio or plumbing or electricians or, or anything like that, that's the industry that we need to focus on right now. Because it allows you to get that hands-on. You can actually see it physically done. It piques your curiosity on how it actually operates and, and the motions and how things work internally to where you're brighter, you're smarter, and you actually think on how to connect dot A to dot B. That not only works in the trade that you're in, but it also makes you think – it makes your brain be trained that way to think about every situation in that realm. And I think that's really the focus that we need to start having in society. That's so true. And, you know, they've been talking about that – trade schooling for quite some time we really need more technological trade schools we need hands-on we need more manufacturing in america we have enough lawyers we have enough judges we really are lacking in our infrastructure our infrastructure needs repairs we need some more engineers we need these people that create and that's really lacking a lot of people just are in this mindset they don't care anymore they've been put down and uh with that student loan you know seventy thousand dollars that's a lot of money for school and a lot of people say well we should write that off you know that would be lovely but how you know how is it going to be paid for the big thing is as individuals and as a parent we should look out for the future of our children we should mm -hmm. make sure every child shows an interest in something by the age of what five ten at the most we should build yeah. upon that interest and well we should start we should early. personal responsibility Personal responsibility. I mean, yes. you're right. We could say, oh, you know what? You signed up for $70,000 of student loan debt. You're never going to be able to pay that off. We're going to write that off and make it free. No, I, you know what? I signed up for it. 
I wasn't smart when I did it. I was learning. We should we should go back to maybe the old school Native American traditions of listening to your elders when they try and tell you stories on how to live life because they experience it and they don't want you to do those dumb things. But guess what? We don't. And I chose to sign up for those. So therefore, it is my burden to bear. I do not need those forgiven. The majority of that is for is a two years out of a four year college where I went for two years and I bombed out because I was drinking too much beer and focused too much on the college Republicans that I was the chair of. And then I decided I didn't want to do this anymore. And I was tired of hearing progressive teachers and professors in my university tell me how the world was going to run rather than go out and actually experience it. So it was my burden to bear. And yes, I'm going to pay on it for a very long time. But at the same day, I'm going to take responsibility for it. And I'm not going to have someone else pay for that because I chose to make that dumb decision. If, if anything else, when we teach our children a lesson of life, that it's our responsibility when we do something, good or bad, and we need to take that responsibility. If it's a bad thing, then you know what? We take responsibility. We learn from it. It's the life lesson that we get to grow and move forward from. We get to expand upon it, and we get to make sure not to do it again. If it's good, we embrace it. We flourish from it. We grow upon it, and then we can try and show that to others and lead by example. And if one, one characteristic is instilled in everybody that we need to get back to is personal responsibility, good and bad. We have to get back to that. That is so true, Andy. You know, we're running short on our time together here. There, there's a couple more things I want you to comment on. Uh, we didn't get to Trump and a few other things. So I want your opinion on Trump. He is saying that he wants to suspend some forms of immigration. And the other one is about the Iran speedboat issue. Could you comment on both of those? Yeah, well, I one thing, I'll be first and foremost, I was not a fan of Trump when he was running for president. I was a Ted Cruz guy, really supported Ted Cruz, and I, I thought Trump, I just didn't get it. I didn't get the whole Trump fascination. He wasn't very well spoken. I was too dug in the trenches of the political side, and I got the, as Keith Olbermann used to say about Barack Obama, is that I got the shiver up my leg whenever Ted Cruz would say the word constitution, and I got yeah. excited about that. Uh, and that was my guy, and, and I was forced to support Trump. I did support him. I did vote for him because I would never in a million years allow Hillary Clinton to get in. But one thing I did love that Trump said all through the campaign was about building the wall and the immigration and how we want legal immigration. There's nothing wrong with legal immigration, but we're sick and tired of illegal immigrants coming into the country. And, and this is a fun conversation to have and a fascinating one because now you see as Donald Trump was trying to build the wall – trying to punish states for making them sanctuary areas or sanctuary states or sanctuary cities or counties that he wanted to cut their funding. And that was a discussion. And they were trying to sue the federal government because the one time progressives tried to go back to a constitutional argument, they completely flopped and didn't understand what the constitution was all about saying that they had some, some type of right as a state to make immigration decisions. And they don't, there are three things. And this is for all the progressives out there that try and talk about social programs, the general welfare and all this other garbage. But there are three things that the Constitution allows the federal government to do when the state signed on the social compact to allow the federal government to be a federal government. We have the system of federalism. We give them a little bit of power. We keep the majority of the power back at the state's level. And the federalism mindset, there were three things the federal government got to handle. And that was national security. That was foreign policy. And that was 
light regulation over interstate commerce between the states to oversee trade between the states to make sure there wasn't a monopoly or any shenanigans going on there. Those are the three things. That's it. That's it. No other social programs, no nothing else. But in that foreign policy part, the foreign policy meant immigration, meant going and doing deals with other countries, meant other people from other countries coming into the nation. That means the federal government has the right to decide on immigration policy, not the states. It's a federal government issue. So if Donald Trump says, you know what, the economy's bad and people are out of work right now and the few jobs that are there, why are we giving them to immigrants from across the from across the sea or wherever they may be? Why can't we give them to Americans temporarily until the economy picks back up and we get back into a situation that we that we were in before, which was we have more jobs than people. So let's start bringing immigrants in and start and fill those jobs. Until we get back to that point, let's freeze immigration, let's stop people from coming in, and let's allow what jobs there are here for American people to actually get to try and stay on their feet. I got no problem with that. There's nothing wrong with that scenario, and I wholeheartedly support that 110%. I'm all for legal immigration. I'm all for people coming here. I'm all for even helping out people who are refugees or who need help or who are coming from disastrous nations. We're the most gracious nation on the face of the earth that allows more people in than any other country on the face of the earth and we should be proud of that we are the melting pot of the mosaic or whatever that anybody wants to call the united states and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you come in through the legal process and you're not barging down our door or jumping the fence or however you want to come in illegally so for that front i am all for him freezing immigration temporarily during this covid 19 issue and during the massive economic hit that we're taking until we get back on our feet as for the iranian thing i think it's hilarious that trump would make a comment like that uh, with the boat, I don't think that it would be something we actually do, and I think the military would be very smart about it, but that's Donald Trump, and that's what people love about Donald Trump is that he doesn't – not that he doesn't care, but that he's very brass about it. He's not political where it goes through that political filter to say it very uh, nice and touchy-feely to where it makes everybody feel good. He just says, hey, if you have a boat that comes too close to ours, we're going to sink it, and we're not going to care because you're not going to bully us. And we're not going to kind of take that crap. That's why he took on trade with China. That's why he went and met with Kim Jong-un over in North Korea. That's why he's working with Vladimir Putin over in Russia, because you know what? These guys try to be bullies. They try to be more superior than us, even though they know they're not. And we've had years of a Barack Obama that apologizes, that bows, that cowers, and allows them to take advantage of us, whether it's in a trade, whether it's in a diplomacy manner, no matter what it was, he always allowed them to take advantage of us, and it's time for us to stop that. So I love what Trump's doing with Iran, with Russia, with North Korea. Doral will say, hey, you know what? We'll be friendly. We'll work with you. We can be pals here, even if you're communist Chinese. If you have a good deal, we'll work with you. We're not going to just put our nose up and, and turn away from you because you need us as much as we need you. At the same time, you're not going to push us around. And that's what Iran thinks that they can do because they've been able to do it for so long. They signed on that Iranian deal under Barack Obama. That was a pathetic deal. It didn't do anything for the sanctions on Iran. They still did whatever they want. And Barack Obama was okay with it. That's why the first thing Donald Trump did was come in and say, uh-uh, we're getting rid of this, these sanctions. We're getting Mike Pompeo, that's actually from the great state of Kansas here, and actually from the district that we're in right here. He used to be our congressman, and I used to interview him almost on a weekly basis when he was in Congress. He's a, he's, I'll tell you, he's probably one of the most qualified guys to ever be in that position, and I feel so safe that he was the head of the CIA and Secretary of State now. 
because I know him personally. He's a great friend, and he is the best guy for the job right now, and he's the one that comes out and says, "Uh uh-uh, these sanctions aren't working. We're going to put tougher sanctions in. We're going to make sure you're not going to mess with us. And if, yeah, if you have a boat too close to us when we sound the sirens, when we warn you to back off and you continue to get, what, like six feet away from our boat, we're going to sink you because that's not okay and you're not going to push us around and bully us. And I think it's great. I love what Trump's doing with that factor. You push the wrong people too long, it could hurt. It's like those little mosquitoes flying around. Well, they get away Mm -hmm. once in a while, but sooner or later, you're going to get squashed. And that's a good attitude to have in the world right now, because I agree with Mr. Trump. We've been pushed around in the wrong mannerisms for far too long. We need to bring the industry back to America, build something that lasts, something that we can be proud of. When I buy a pair of shoes, I want it to be leather, not paper coated with plastic. And these are the things I think Donald Trump is bringing back to America, going to build America strong again, and we need more of it. I support Donald Trump. I just, I don't register Democrat, Republican, but this cycle I registered as a Republican. I intend to cast my vote for Donald Trump this year and a few other Republicans in my local area. So Mm -hmm. the political season is heating up. We need good men and women to stand up, be loud, be proud, and get a voice of reason like Andy here. Andy, well, I appreciate it, and that's another that's another discussion we need to have later on is is the uh, the voting of the parties because it's a very tough issue, and I love that discussion. So we got to do another show on that at some point because I've been a registered Republican since I turned eighteen. My very first election I was able to vote in was Barack Obama and John McCain. I despised John McCain. I never liked John McCain, but I was a fan of uh, somewhat of Sarah Palin, and I was absolutely one hundred percent against Barack Obama. But my mission. I, look, when I first started radio, and I'll keep this quick because I know we got to wrap up, but when I first got into radio, I was going to the broadcasting school, and I interned for one of the great talk radio hosts out of Denver, Colorado at 850 KOA, and his name was Mike Rosen, and he was on the big 100,000-watt KOA. Uh, I mean, everybody knew KOA back in that area, and uh, he had filled in for Rush Limbaugh a couple of times, and he was the master of radio. He, he, he almost did his show kind of like a college course. He was very smart. He used to run the finance department for the Pentagon when he was younger and he was in the military. So he was all about the numbers and blips and statistics. And that's where I learned my craft was from Mike Rosen. And he sat me down one day and showed me the entire federal budget. And he had it from 1960 all the way to current every year. He updated it on a hundred page Excel sheet with graphs and charts showing the increase in spending in different departments and agencies and so on and so forth. And that's where I learned it. And I And I took that, but one thing that he was known for, and he wrote this article in the Denver Post and the Rocky Mountain News and all that when that was there at that time, was party Trump's person in a general election. And what I've been advocating for is I've taken that message and tried to go further with it, is that it's not about a dedication to the party, but it's about the dedication to fighting for the ideas. And one thing that libertarians have had wrong, which I have a lot of libertarian flavors to me as well, but the one thing that libertarians have had wrong, at least in my opinion, was that they're so scattered because they're so individualized that they can't rally together enough to have a loud enough voice to make a difference. And they've been run out of the Republican Party 
wrongly. I mean, Ron Paul got ran out of the Republican Party. Rand Paul is about to be run out of the Republican Party. Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, these guys are about to be run out of the party because the party is deserting them. But we can't desert the party because we have a smaller voice. We need more people to come back to the party, as you have done to try and vote for Donald Trump and a few other Republicans, to change it from within because the party still has the money. It still has the voice. It still has the power, and it still has the influence to make the difference that we need to be able to move forward. And we have to keep chipping away at it little by little by little by little by little, just like FDR talked about with his progressive values, doing it over a period of time rather than getting everything all at once. And uh, I'll wrap up with that one. Is just that the, the, the more people that may not register as Republican but fight for Republican values, conservative principles, and not only fight against Democrats but then trying to fight the Republican Party internally to bring them back to their roots, if we're able to successfully do that, we're going to dominate and we're going to win big time because we actually have a voice where it's in unison fighting for what's right. Well, that's a great way to wrap it up, Andy, and you're absolutely right. Change always happens from within, and it's yes. the same in the political realm. You got to change it from within the party. I want to thank you so much for being here. We have so much we wanted to cover. We've got to have you back on. Andy, thank you for sharing your story with us. Hey, anytime, brother. It's good to talk to you, Ed. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.